Those of you that uh, were at the assembly last night, I uh, gave the new Act Award to Randy Martin, and so I, I gave uh, a number of uh, points about him and his life and his ministry, but he is a 1990 graduate of the Bible Institute. He and Robin uh, endeared themselves to us very much, and um, those of us that were here back then and there are not as many of us as there <laughs> something about Dave Chamberlain and I were, um, um, remember uh, Randy and Robin and just how much uh, we loved them then and we love them now. But uh, for 32 years, he's been uh, working in Minnesota. He established a church in Olatana, Minnesota when he graduated and, and did a terrific work there. And um, then he's at the South Wind Cities. Uh, church and has been there and serving as one of the elders uh, there in addition to being the evangelist. <clears throat> okay, but I got some other stories I want to tell. <laughs> oh, boy. Um, first of all, uh, Randy was an arm wrestling champion. And uh, you know, he, he doesn't want me to tell this story, but some people say he still has it, so come on. But <laughs> we would go on campaigns, and uh, this has nothing to do with arm wrestling. Moving to a different story. Um, so we're on our way to, I believe it was uh, someplace in California, and we were staying. Uh, we stopped at a, a kind of a, a mom and pop cafe to have. And it was Randy and four other students. And what was kind of interesting about that particular campaign is every single one of the students were very large men. Um, and when Randy, he even now he's in excellent shape, but you know, big, very muscular guy, all, all five of them, and then me. <laughs> and so we're at this restaurant and this lady comes up and she says, are you the manager of the hockey team? <laughs> so I guess I guess that's what I look like as a manager. Of the, I don't know if anyone were missing teeth. Why she went with the hockey team? But, um, but I think Randy still uh, had all of his teeth back then, so it wasn't him. But uh, anyway, a really funny story. Another Randy Martin story is <clears throat> we we talk about. Well, let me ask you a question. Have you ever been typing at the computer and you fall asleep? Yes. And then when you wake up, it's like... <laughs> well, the legend of Randy Martin is that... So I'm, I'm, I'm teaching, I'm lecturing, and, and he's asleep. So I thought, I'm going to just keep on talking, teaching, as I move around and get behind Randy and then I'm going to wake him up. So I come around, and I look. He's fast asleep, but he is staying right with me, everything I'm saying. There was no lines of Z's. He was actually getting dosed. I don't know, I don't know how you do that. But, but he's, that's, that's a legend of Randy Martin that I remember to this day. But uh, anyway, it's, it's funny that all these years later, you remember some special things about a special man and a good friend and someone that is <clears throat> we're proud of you, Randy and Robin. We love you guys and the good work that you've done and continue to do. And 
Um, I'm so I'm so thrilled with the connection that we have with Randy and the work that he does in our international uh, school and and uh, they love him over there and and uh, just appreciate the fact that he's willing to give of himself in um, an international in the international preacher training work in addition to all of his responsibilities there in Minnesota so anyway I have more stories but that's not why we're here so Randy, come preach <laughs> It was probably the fight that we all got in at the buffet. They thought it was a hockey team. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> my hands started working independently when I began typing. I actually could type everything and even think about what you were saying. It's something that just happened while I was at school. I could just go, and then I could even ponder, but I was still transposing everything. I do it to this day. I did it to her this morning. I started noticing I was typing every single thing that was said. I pulled my off, arm off, Robin. It's been 32 years. I still do it. So it's something that's hard to fight. I, I don't know what to say. Uh, well. In a couple months, I will have been a parent 40 years. The decades go by. Mm. A recurrent theme of any place I've been is that if you ask parents, you know, they absolutely do not want to outlive their children. It, it's really universal. I remember when we lost a child uh, in the womb, uh, we named him Orlando because of the place of conception, our first vacation actually as a in, in the ministry. But you sit and you think about what would he have looked like? Who would he have you know, married? You know, your mind as a parent just... And then, uh, you know, even now, I ponder things as we have been told by doctors uh, we're going to lose our first child, Evie, you know, to brain cancer. To cancer, that's at this point, there's no cure. It's just the way it is. And then I think about, I grieve that I'll lose her. It's like a, it's a prolonged death sentence that we're just kind of like in. And I think about, will Evie get to be a grandparent? What's going to happen with those five boys? And therefore, it's, I know it can be one of the, Maybe the toughest thing in life is for a parent to lose a child. Maybe losing a child to, to sewage, uh, a, a car accident. Unexpected, they just stop breathing right there and they're gone. Who can speak to these things? And so I, I pondered the topic. I said, I've never lost a child that way. I mean, can I even speak on this? But I just felt such an urge to talk about it. And I realized the writers of the scripture, how many of them you know, had lost a child? You know, the Holy Spirit knows about everything. And therefore, it's all in the book, everything pertaining to life and godliness. The scriptures know. So it's in there to you know, discover. You know, today I... I decided to take on you know the topic. I don't have any. I didn't have any grandiose expectation that 
you know, in my 45 minutes, I could solve all the grief, you know, of losing a child. But I really, I took it for was to prepare myself and my wife. And like our congregation, it's a strange congregation, over half of those attending are children. That's the makeup of our, con- our congregation. There's dozens and dozens of them. My own family, I have seven children. They're all married, you know, amazingly at the same church. I and mean, I can't even believe it's occurred. But we have 23 grandkids. I mean, we're up to 39 people. Just, should we just expect nothing ever is going to happen with anybody? It's a topic that we can prepare for, and the Word of God can give us a, a lifeline, a life preserver that can be there in the event of such a thing. No matter what, how the loss is, no matter how it occurs, uh, there's going to be stages. And look at the numbers on the screen. Think about this is globally, of course, not the U.S., but... 4.6% of children die before the age of 15. That's, that's about 1 in 22 sets of parents will lose a child by 15 on this planet. That's not even talking about 16, 17, 18, 19, 20. It's something we need to be aware of. And just to help people when these losses do occur. And no matter the circumstances, the result will be the stages of grief. I've had, you know, we've all, those in the ministry, we've had courses in counseling in these areas of grief, all the stages of grief, the five classic stages. Then you got 14. You, you look around, I started just trying to absorb them all. There's such debate on them. I think they came down to four basic stages. Uh, no matter what the stage this is going to be the truth that we're in. But we do not want you to be uninformed, brethren, about those who are asleep, that you may not grieve as do the rest who have no hope. That's us. God is expecting us to grieve differently with a hope that is a desire and an expectation through it. It's not going to be like the world with hopelessness, but this is the case. And so when we look at the stages of grief, I first want you to just, as I, as I put some on here, the classic, you know, modern, you know, views of them. I'd like you just to ponder, does that sound, you know, prudent? Is it proper? Is it, is it, does it sound scriptural? Usually like shock and denial is the first thing. Can't, you know, believe it's, you know, it's occurring. And no, it can't be, you know, occurring. It's, it's trying to absorb the reality of it that it's real, it's not a dream, that it's a, a new thing that we are going to have to face. And then there, there can be pain and guilt. And everybody starts going through things in their minds, thinking of one's wrongs or omissions. What could I have done to stop it? What could I have done to have prevented, to have seen it ahead of time? What did I leave out? What should I have said You know, before we found out this uh, information. Another stage, especially in the secular world, is anger and bitterness lashing out at someone to blame. It's a stage I'm bitter, I'm angry. And then resolution and acceptance. Seems like this is fairly common with all, all the lists, uh, incorporating the loss into one's life. Now, as you, again, as you look at them, you're probably thinking that some of those sound 
just unavoidable. Others sound proper. I don't know about some of that. Is that really should be involved in a Christian's uh, life? And so that's what uh, you know. I I want to do. I want to look at these things from a, a scriptural point of view. Uh, it's also compounded by everyone's circumstances can be drastically different, and people dr- uh, grieve in drastically different ways. Sometimes people go through stages, but then they, six months later, as they encounter a new aspect of the loss, they got to grieve that thing. They'd every, it didn't even, they just encountered it again. Oh, and then the, another part of the year hits, and they're, and they're, they're oh, and they, they, they hadn't been there yet. It's a new thing. And so it's greatly uh, debated. One truth that I'm convinced runs through every single situation is that the quantity and quality of one's faith will determine how one grieves and whether one grows through the grieving. It's not whether someone is saved or not. You know, just a little faith of a mustard seed can do quite a bit, right? But we're talking about the quality of one's life and walk with God, whether God can use you or not. The quantity and quality of one's faith is going to be paramount in this grieving process as far as what God is trying to accomplish. It's not all about the death. Uh, It it is not. So therefore, uh, scripturally assessing the stages of grief, uh, you know, the first one, you know, we talk about the shock and denial. There seems to be a lot of truth to that situation and that that day in April when we... uh, we saw that the doctor, I mean, they walked in. You can see it all over their face. That it's, it's bad news. And she has almost a grapefruit-sized tumor. It's almost always malignant. Yeah, you could tell. Is there shock to that? Yes, there is. I mean, we, I remember just thinking, Wow. But did we, did we actually spend a lot of time uh, in denial? No. I, I give Christopher credit. We get that news. That, that family surrounding the hospital room says, Randy, let's go out and talk. And what Christopher wants to talk about is handling this in a godly way. What is God expecting out of our family? How should we deal with this? I mean, we're only talking a few minutes after he heard the news about his wife. And I'm in complete agreement. Let's go out there. And also, our faith had uh, prepared us <laughs> that we are not the exceptions. We had known this from scriptures. I mean, it was not like we have a, a golden globe around us protecting us from anything like this. We knew it could happen. There's scriptures. Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal among you, which comes upon you for your testing, as though some strange thing were happening to you. Yeah, that's specific you know, persecution, but that, when you look at a larger context of fiery ordeals, we knew our family is not the exception. That had already been delivered to us by the Scriptures. And a lecture we had you know, here yesterday, just plainly, Ecclesiastes had already told us there's an appointed time for everything and there's a time for every event under heaven. A time to give birth and a time to die. A time to plant and a time to uproot what is planted. 
a time to kill and a time to heal, a time to tear down, a time to build up, a time to weep and a time to laugh, a time to mourn and a time to dance. We just know this is an immutable truth. This is the reality of existence. As a matter of fact, just a few months earlier, this is like in April in the winter. I mean, I have all these kids. Grandkids are just coming out like out of a popcorn machine. <laughs> and, and so I, I said, Christopher, our family is blessed upon blessed. All the children are in the faith. All the son and daughter are in the faith. All the children seem to love the Lord. Everybody's being blessed in what they do. The congregation is growing. So I said, Christopher, we've got to be ready. This is simply not an avenue, uh, I mean, an environment that is conducive to true growth. It's too easy. We need to prepare ourselves. I mean, I'm no prophet, but some things are just almost unavoidable to see. This is way too good. And scriptures had told us God works through suffering. There is no doubt about it. Through stress, through challenge, through him stepping in and showing who is boss. And therefore, you know, for, therefore for uh, you know, Christians, we, did, we really need to think of it as more of a time of realization. You've got to realize God is at work. Don't be blown away by it. This is not abnormal. This is normal for life. There, there's death. <laughs> there is disease. And God works through it all. The realization, my God is at work. Now, what are we going to do about it? What is he wanting out of us? What, there's something, obviously, that we need to do to change, or he would not you know, have allowed it. God didn't make a mistake. Satan didn't circumvent the Lord. God wasn't on vacation that day. Oh, I'm so sorry. Let that cancer get in there. There is no mistake. Our God specifically allowed this diagnosis with our firstborn. And it's not an error. It's not a miscue. He's doing his wonderful work despite our shock at the beginning, but we realize that he is up to something. One thing that I really appreciate is the graphic for the, the lectures. That hand reaching down into the waters, like the hand of God, and you're reaching up. The verses that you hear in these, these lectures, the verses that you've heard many times over is like a life preserver. You're on the ship. Yep, I'm on the, you're on a big ship and I'm surviving you know, this storm. Well, you, all of a sudden you're cast overboard. You fall off. Oh, you're out there in the waves. Someone throws the classic white, you know, round life preserver. Do you cling to that thing? You absolutely cling to it. All those verses that you have heard so many times, because God knows these events happen, have already been delivered, and now it's time to cling to them, to completely apply them to your life because it's real. Something you've seen several times this week, I'm sure. Romans 8, 28 and we know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to His uh, purpose. You know, if a certain you know, power is perfected in weakness, why would God not do it? If there is good that's going to come from it, why would God 
not do it. Or like you know, this verse you've seen, like with Paul. Paul's thorn in the flesh. And he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for power is perfected in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, I will rather boast about my weakness that the power of Christ may dwell uh, in me. If he's trying to perfect something in Evie and us through making her weak, why wouldn't he do it from his point of view in our vapor of a life? We are simply not the exception. And this is, of course, even astoundingly true in the loss of a child. It's true from God's point of view. Think about this. The famous Isaiah 53 about the coming Messiah and how he would suffer. It says, But the Lord was pleased to crush him, putting him to grief, if he would render himself as a guilt offering. If the Lord was pleased to crush his only son, if he would render himself as a guilt offering, why would he not be pleased to crush my firstborn if she would show herself an example of indefatigable happiness and joy in God no matter what has happened? Evie is the happiest person I've ever met on this earth. And if she is willing to display that indefatigable happiness and joy in the Lord, why would he not be pleased to do so? on the, the people that it would it would help. And then there is a realization about the stark and ultimate truths concerning life. Like when Job lost all of his I mean he lost his health, except he's just alive and but especially all of his kids. He loses them. What does Job immediately do? And he said, Naked I came from my mother's womb and naked I shall return there. The Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. I think about my situation. I mean, I could be in a position where could, there could be a Job situation. I'm not saying I'm any anticipation, but I'm thinking about Job. You lost them all, all the children, oh, they're at, that, at this other place, and you know it's, it's destroyed, and they're all dead. They'd be like me, losing all seven, all the in-laws, all my grandkids. They're just gone. That's what went through Job. And his immediate reaction is to worship God and say, you have the right to do so. You are the creator. What I am hoping, I mean, something else, of course, could take her. There could be amazing cure for all cancers on earth. <laughs> but the moment that she is taken, I want to worship God in that moment. The Lord gives, the Lord takes away. Blessed be his name. This was given to us. Realization. Our God is at work really the, the first step for a Christian. Realize he's up to something important. It's not just because he wants you to lose something. Next stage, pain and guilt, is pretty much uh, unavoidable. I prefer to call it introspection. It's a time to spiritually assess something because God is at work. You know, in politics, the famous statement, never let a crisis go to waste, right? In politics. Well, guess who's the ultimate master of that? Our God. It never goes to waste. He is making sure it's all being, can work to uh, the good. You know, as you grieve, perhaps you're going to pray more than you ever have. 
You will go over all the endless things you wish you have said, wish you have done. You know, what should I do? That's what I do. I, I, I constantly think, what should I do with Ev? You know, I, you know, with I, it's one of the reasons. I mean, I'm out here, and we will go to a place, and she starts to talking with somebody. Christopher, and I said, yep, that'll be another 20 minutes, you know, before we can get in the car. But God bless her. That's what I, I think. It's, it's her time, you know, to talk. In this process, you will get to know yourself better than you ever have. Your strength and your weaknesses will, will be exposed. But this is a good thing. This isn't just about you losing something. It's not just, it's not just like some test. This is my observation of my years out here in the ministry. One demonstrates their personality in easy times, but their character is revealed in difficult times. This is not grievous. This is, oh, no, no, I'm just under the test and I'm going to fail some more. That's, no, 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 this is a blessing. Look at the word reveal. Something is going to be revealed about you. And guess what? It's your God working with you and you have opportunity to grow in that area. From God's point of view, it's causing all things to work together for the good. It is power perfected in weakness. It is opportunity. It may not seem like it, but it actually is. After all, if Job, the amazing Job, the best man on the planet, observe Job, if the best man on the planet had to grow through the loss of his children and other things, do you really think that we don't need to go through something similar at times? Yeah, we're, we're not the exception. And here's something that seems startling. As startling as this concept may be, it's not about your child anymore. Especially when that child dies. God's done working on their character their morals, their beliefs. Their in- God is done with them. Their, their eternity now, I mean, he's done working on their, their soul. It's who's left that he's working on. It's about you. It's about the other person. It's not just about the death of that person. God's beyond that. He's taken them. Now he's working with who is left. As Peter says, and I emphasize you, and after you have suffered for a little while, the God of all grace who called you to his eternal glory in Christ will himself perfect, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. That's why this time of pain and guilt for the Christian should be introspection is paramount. Our God is molding you, improving you. The opportunity is there. But your faith will determine whether it's an anchor or a sail. you got to hang on. Hang on to that life preserver no matter what. And God's going to be rolling you in back to the ship, and you're going to be doing new things. But hang on. That's what those verses are for. That's why perhaps the first book written in Scripture is Job about suffering. Maybe James, the first in the new. It's, they're delivered because we will encounter these things. And God is wanting to improve us. And it's crucial also to let yourself feel pain in this stage. Don't cover it up to avoid the truth. Don't become a workaholic. 
Don't become a serboholic. I mean, I've seen all these things where people are simply avoiding it. Almost like very little's happening. They just keep chugging away. But it's not a chugging away that is healthy. It's avoidance because they don't want to feel it. They don't want to have the mental anguish. Uh, when I was at the graduate school, uh, at the time it was Southern Christian University, I had a professor talking to me and how he was working with a preacher. It was in the Tennessee area. And he said this preacher had formed a terrible addiction to pornography. And he's just, just devastated by it. And he said, we finally, after a while, we, we discovered he'd never grieved the loss of his father. He was in an accident when he was a boy. A car hit them in the medium. The father and the boy both went out of the vehicle. And the father was dead on the median. And he was holding a, a stick and was twitching in death. He was, and the, the boy saw it. He never thought about it again, never dealt with it. Well, it manifested itself later in sinful things, trying to cover up a hole that you cannot fill. Only God can fill that hole. But he never really grieved. Therefore, his brain never really processed it. And so then there was an indefatigable need to cover up things with vain pleasure. So don't avoid it. Do not do it. Again, in losing your beloved child, you learn perhaps the greatest truth that there can be to our existence. And that's this. The Psalm of David, the earth is the Lord's and all it contains, the world and those who dwell in it. When you are utterly powerless to stop something, no matter the resources you pour into it, no matter the research that you would put in, or the time, or getting all the people involved, the, the best doctors, and you can't stop it. There's nothing you can do to stop it. You truly do learn and feel beyond the book learning God's absolute dominion and sovereignty that the world and every single person in it is His, including my firstborn. And He does with it what He wills. We know it better than we did before. Even just with, and we're going to learn it more when she passes. And really, it's not just about loss. It's not like <laughs> you deserve this. God is wanting, He's not wanting to suffer just for the sake of, of suffering. He's wanting more maturation on your part. And that's why these verses that you've heard so many times in your youth, as a, in the church, have to become those lifelines, that life preserver. Maybe, again, the first verses of the entire New Testament canon. We don't know. Concert all joy, my brethren, we encounter various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance, and let endurance have its perfect result, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. But if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God who gives to all men generously and without reproach, and it will be given to him. Contextually, it's about the trial, whether it's a loss or whatever. And therefore, he wants you to be, to grow into maturation through it. And really, again, talking about, there's not an exception, Jesus Christ, Hebrews 5, 8 through 9. Although he was a son, he learned obedience from the things which he suffered. 
And having been made perfect, he became to all those who obey him the source of eternal salvation. <laughs> if Christ had to learn obedience through what he suffered, is anyone in this room beyond needing to learn obedience from suffering? We know the answer. So as strange as it may seem, and what we're trying to do, we're trying to take advantage of this time because the scriptures tell us, Ecclesiastes, it is better to go to a house of mourning than to go to a house of feasting because that is the end of every man and the living takes it to heart. Sorrow is better than laughter for when a face is sad, a heart may be happy. The mind of the wise is in the house of mourning while the mind of fools is in the house of pleasure. And in this situation of this prolonged descent, I've seen so much growth, introspection and growth. Like Evie, ask Evie. She saw vanity in herself. You know, just a girl. I mean, we got a picture of our wall, very super beautiful. And uh, she has learned definite things because of what she is going through. And, you know, we have. And others have joined us. And we've seen other people actually bewildered in fear. But they're learning. They actually come up to me and say, if God will allow this with super happy Evie, super faithful wife, preacher's wife, a mother of five little boys, even church secretary, if God will allow that with Evie, he would allow with anybody. That is right. That is right, brother or sister. Take it to heart. Our God will not stop working. Now, this stage, anger and bitterness. I, I put a question mark here. I'm, I'm just going to plainly come out and say, not that it's that we there's never anger or bitter. I'm just saying it's worthless. It really is worthless to be angry and bitter at God. It simply does not uh, profit. It's, it's focused outward instead of that energy focused inward. The anger wells up, especially if someone is directly or indirectly responsible. If this person hadn't been driving drunk, if this person, or if I had only... I even remember wasting some time where I said... I mean, God could do anything. He could actually change time. I could ask him, give me the brain cancer. And Evie doesn't have it. And I won't tell anybody. It's a waste of time. <laughs> it's a complete waste of time. But I, I mean, I had those thoughts. I didn't actually ask him. I just I was pondering it. I said, no, that's dumb, Randy. It's really dumb. All of my probing in scripture, I came to realize that the stage of bitter you know, bitterness and anger is simply not acceptable to God and that people of faith, you don't have to go through it. There is no profit. Now, again, the level of one's faith will determine how one grieves. But I have heard counselors just, I mean, I sat in classes. They're all going to go through the anger and bitterness stage. They're going to be very angry. It's okay. They should, they should go through it. Uh, we've even had encountered mature Christians just assuming that we're super angry and bitter. That, how was that anger, bitterness? Are you still through it? Have you, have you, have you gone through it? Well, here's the, the deal. There's a crucial difference between being sad 
and mad. Yeah. It's a crucial difference. And uh, being sad means I've suffered a loss. Being mad says I've been wronged. We have not been wronged. Our God didn't do anything wrong. And it's a, it's a waste of time. There are many times you know, we can be angry, but just notice the scripture. Ephesians 4.26, Be angry and yet do not sin. We do not have the prerogative to be angry and bitter at God and call it, yeah, I'm justified. James 1.20, For the anger of man does not achieve the righteousness of God. Then why stay there? Uh, these types of thoughts should be, we do all we can to purge them, but now, also, but now you also put them all aside, anger, wrath, malice, slander, and abusive speech from your mouth. You know, even the amazing Job, you know, had to learn things here in it. Now, again, I'm saying maybe you've lost them and you've been angry and, and bitter. Don't throw yourself away. God's not done. I'm only saying it's not a stage God wants us to say, hey, make sure you go through the anger and bitterness stage. It's not profitable. Don't spend, you, God has not wronged you. He didn't make a mistake or error in this. It's really a time for submission. Your realization God is at work, you introspect, what is God wanting out of this? The child is gone. But what is he wanting out of us around here? Then once you discover it, then you go, I'm submitting to this. This is what he has given. This is the reality. And I'm going to submit properly to this. And then we also see in Scripture those who wasted their time in anger, like Job's wife. I mean, she lost a lot of kids. I mean, too. But she said, then his wife said to him, do you still hold fast your integrity? Curse God and die. Nope, that's a waste of time. It's not profitable. When the widow with the only child who was helping out Elijah lost her child, she wasted her time too. So she said to Elijah, Why, what do I have to do with you, O man of God? You've come to me to bring my iniquity to remembrance and to put my son to death. No, that's not what's going on here. But even the great Job, the amazing Job, I mean, Job is impressive. He says, I loathe my own life. I will give full vent to my complaint. I will speak in the bitterness of my soul. I will say to God, do not condemn me. Let me know why thou dost contend with me. Yep, he got bitter. He went on a little rant. Don't throw yourself away. If you've had anger and bitterness. But here is how God responded. He didn't say, yeah, I, you, need, you needed to go through this be angry at me stage, Job, and bitter at me. It, it, no. What, do, what does God do? If you read the book of Job at that point, I'm into meteorology. Start looking at some of the end things that are happening. It's almost like there is an approaching storm coming. You see meteorological events being mentioned. So I wonder if like a storm front. I'm from the Midwest. I started out a meteorology major. Love it. So I, I looked at it from that point of view. And we do see God shows himself in the form of a whirlwind. 
And how, at, what does God do to Job's statement? In the bitterness of my soul, I bring forth my complaint. He, he responds, Then the Lord said to Job, Will the fault finder contend with the Almighty? Let him who reproves God answer it. All the questions that are completely unanswerable, that show the sovereignty and the dominion and the glory of God. So Job does, though. What does Job do? He submits in submission. Job 42.6, Therefore I retract, I repent in dust uh, and ashes. It's the best route to go. Uh, now to me, I mean, God contends with Job's audacity in spectacular uh, fashion. And also, think about this. Don't use Job's behavior. Well, Job did it, so I can do it. What did Job not have? He didn't have the book of Job. <laughs> he didn't have the book of James. He didn't have any of it. So let's not use it as a, a step to say, I, I've, you know, I just, I'm going to be angry uh, with the Lord. But don't throw yourself away. Don't think of yourself as worthless if you've encountered you know, the anger in that. Just you know, The truth is with intense suffering can come intense maturation. And the loss can either be a sail or that lifeline, or it can be an, you're grabbing hold of an anchor line uh, instead. And so we decided with this impending news, when we stepped out of that room and the subsequent times, we just said, we're not going to be angry and bitter. I can't think of anything to be angry and bitter about. Once you have all the scripture telling you ahead of time what, what's up. Our God has the prerogative. He's more her father than I am. I'm her father in the flesh. He's the one who owns her soul, her spirit, everything. He's more her father and he loves her more than me. There's no slip up. There's no error. There's no miscalculation. There's nothing to be angry about concerning God. And it may be different as you encounter someone who's directly responsible. I really don't have time to deal with you know, you know, every encounter. I'm dealing with, with, with God. We decided on a deeper submission than ever before. That's what we decided. All those verses that you hear so many times, now we have to do. Each day has enough trouble of its own. We'll do what's right today. Enjoy Evie today. Enjoy Evie this trip. And she's going to grow. And who knows what everything that will incur. We want to be an example of like she has indefatigable happiness. We want to be an example of indefatigable faith in this. That we still trust God. That we're growing through it. That's what we want to be. We want to make a difference to the good of others. And be more determined than ever to be a part of the ministry. That's what we concluded, Christopher and I, in this. Remember, one's quality and quantity of faith certainly determines one's level of grieving. And let me say this concerning faith. If you absolutely knew for a fact that you will be with your child again, where it's more real than anything you see out here in this physical life... To the Christian, shouldn't that be an incalculable comfort? 
Let me, let me give you this illustration. Baby monitors. Our kids, all these babies we have, they love baby monitors. They like, they'll put kids in our room and everyone's over and there's that monitor. I always turn it and they're going to be looking at me. But they put it on their child and they watch their kids on the cell phone to see how everything is. And it gives them comfort. <gasps> they're still breathing. Ah, oh, they're okay. It gives great comfort to the parents. Does it not? Brethren, are the scriptures true? Is that faithful child in heaven? Is it true or not? Are they in paradise? Are they, are they in good standing? And you're going to see them again. Mm-hmm. Yes. Well, if you would be far better off where you're just, I can't handle the loss. But if God said, all right, here's one second. I'm going to give you a spiritual telescope. No, matter of fact, since you guys like cell phones, I'm going to give you a, a paradise webcam. There she is. If, it, if that completely changes you, I mean, everything now changes that you saw them on the, the spiritual webcam. What's that say? There needs to be more faith because it's true regardless. Because is it true, already true that the Bible is a scriptural webcam? It is. It already tells us the truth about the situation. The quality and quantity of one's faith determines how one grieves and whether one grows from the grieving. I'm down to a little bit of time. So the final stage, resolution and acceptance. I prefer to call it employment. I'm going to employ the changes that God's going to be doing in in me with this. I'm going to make it work for me. That's what God wants, right? I'm going to employ it. First uh, Peter 4.10, amazing as it sounds, this is true. Like good stewards of the manifold grace of God, serve one another with whatever gift each of you has received. It is a gift. Or he wouldn't be giving it. That's the truth. And those who have suffered through a loss, have grown through it, can comfort others. There's too many ways to talk about It is a gift. Now employ it. Employ it. And so, just let me just jump right here to the end. Shock and denial. I think it's better, I put these in terms I'll easily remember. It's better to think of realization. My God is at work. Pain and guilt, hard to avoid, but use it for introspection. What is my God wanting to accomplish in me? My child's gone. He can't change them anymore. Anger and bitterness? No. I'm not going to to go there. He hasn't made a mistake. I'm simply going to submit to what he's taught me about life and myself that needs to improve. Resolution and acceptance? Yep, I'm going to have employment of this, this new truth. And for just for me to remember things, I, you know, I, I realized as I was looking at it, depending on how you use the list on the left, you can be sparring with God. I mean, Job had some sparring. Why not let God rise, do the rising, rise you up to what you need to be to be a better servant? God is the God of the universe. He owns everything and every soul. He will do with it what he wants.
He will cause all things to work together for the good. Power is perfected in weakness. Maturation will take place through the suffering. Like we had heard, if God is for us this morning, who is, who is against us? Thank you for your time, uh, beloved brethren. Thank you, Randy, very much. Appreciate that. Let's have a word of prayer and then we will be dismissed. Father, we're grateful for the constant promise of love and care and concern that you have for us as your beloved children. We find that comfort from the scriptures that remind us that you are, in fact, the God of all comfort. And we're grateful for that. We're grateful for the strength that we can derive even in the midst of hardship, in the midst of loss. And Father, we pray for all those uh, that have lost children. We pray that they will uh, find the comfort that you can provide and the strength that comes from you. Father, help us to always keep our eyes on the big picture, the prize that is to come. As Randy has reminded us that uh, we have eternity that awaits, and that's the true joy that we'll have that will be ours in you. We're grateful for your love. We're grateful for Jesus that has made the promise of eternal life possible. And we pray this in his name. Amen. Amen. Thank you. We are dismissed.